Welcome to Showboat, a series of podcasts from the battleship North Carolina in Wilmington. I'm your host, Mary Ames Booker, ship's curator. Together we'll discover the stories of an extraordinary ship that steamed into history, what makes her tick and keeps her going, and her vital contributions today. Join us as we share her adventures and celebrate the thousands of men who served on the most highly decorated American battleship of World War II. As the colors rose over the stern on Wednesday morning, April 9, 1941, the band played the Star Spangled Banner, and the battleship North Carolina began her service in the U.S. Navy on Commission Day. Musicians on ships inspire patriotism, elevate morale, enhance retention, and foster pride in naval service. It's a long tradition. The showboat's first band members reported aboard in April 1941. There were 19 enlisted men who played clarinet, cornet, alto and tenor sax, trombone, trumpet, organ, and piano. The young men had enlisted in the Navy as musicians, but all did not attend the Navy School of Music in Washington, D.C. The musicians were under the leadership of Bandmaster Raymond Anthony Ruther. A trumpet player, Ruther enlisted in the Navy in 1923 and began training at the Navy School of Music in Newport, Rhode Island. It was one of three schools for training musicians. The others were in Norfolk, Virginia, and San Diego. Ruther was assigned to several ships, stations, and bases that took him to various places around the world before landing in Brooklyn in April 1941 as the new bandmaster on the North Carolina. The showboat played daily while the ship was in the Brooklyn Navy Yard in May 1941. They practiced creating their own musical style and wrote a few special arrangements, including the North Carolina March. They formed a four-man saxophone section and asked the crew for theme song suggestions to identify the orchestra at dances. In August 1941, Ruther ordered sheet music from Carl Fisher in New York City. He bought the standards of Anchors Away, the Marines' Hymn March, and Stars and Stripes, but also hit music such as Apple Blossom Time, sung by the Andrews Sisters, The Wise Old Owl, which was number one on the hit parade, I Hear a Rhapsody, played by Jimmy Dorsey and his orchestra, and 17 books of American swing band music. The showboat band wanted to play the crew's favorite numbers. The band accompanied the showboat as she headed to the Pacific in early summer 1942. Men crowded on the main deck every afternoon to hear the concerts. Their splendid work made long periods at sea more pleasant, reported the ship's newsletter. The swinging, jumping jives section featuring five musicians played in the shade of turret number three in the evenings. The 
band's routine, as set by the ship's organization and regulations, included playing for a physical drill at 0800 and 1300. Years later, musician Don Wickham recalled, Every once in a while, we would get some young officer who's going to shape these guys up. You would go through your little stretches and bends. They figured the crew would do it better to music. By playing for the physical drill, we didn't have to endure it ourselves. So that was all right. The band had rehearsal and or individual practice from 9 to noon and 2 to 3.30, a concert at noon and another 8.30 to 9.30 on alternate nights for the crew and officers. Friday and Saturday were left open. When the ship was in port, they played colors each morning. always ready to play honors on the quarter deck if requested. Let's look at how the Navy's musician rate came into existence. The Navy's six original frigates had drum and fife players, but the rate wasn't established until 1838, when six men were paid to form a ship's band. That didn't change until the American Civil War, when a Navy band grew to a proper 20-man complement. Interestingly, European musicians often formed most ships' bands, even into the 20th century, but many enlisted only to get passage to America, and then deserted for more lucrative musical careers. It took World War I for the Navy to develop an organized band structure. Experienced musicians from symphonies, college, and civic bands enlisted in the Navy. John Philip Sousa was recruited to be in charge of the music program at the Great Lakes Illinois Naval Station and given the rank of Lieutenant Commander. He formed a battalion of 350 musicians, and they played across the country for Liberty Loan drives. And he formed regimental bands that could be called to a ship or station. These were organized groups of musicians who understood how to play together, and that is key. In 1935, Lieutenant Charles Benter, leader of the U.S. Navy Band, established a music school that would adequately train and assign musicians for duty in the fleet. The Navy School of Music opened in the Washington Navy Yard. In California, 18-year-old Lloyd Glick decided to join the Navy days after the attack on Pearl Harbor in December 1941. He was an accomplished trumpet player and knew about the prestigious U.S. Navy School of Music in Washington, D.C., He went to the Navy recruiting office in San Francisco to ask about auditioning. He was told they'd call him when a slot was open at the training facility in San Diego. He waited four months until finally on April 24, 1942, Lloyd was in the Navy. He describes his experience enlisting in the Navy and attending the School of Music. Uh, When I enlisted and told them I wanted to go to the School of Music, they reminded me that that school lasted for at least a year, and they weren't going to let me go to the school unless I would sign for a regular six-year hitch, uh, at, not as a reserve, but as a regular. So um, 
what is an 18-year-old kid know? I signed the paper for six years, uh, and I had to do it all, <laughs> even though the war ended. When I first got there, uh, the School of Music was located in the Navy Yard in Washington, in that portion which, is, which constitutes the gun factory. And uh, we had a barracks building uh, just inside the, the side gate to the, to the Navy Yard. And then across from that building was the gun factory building. I don't think they manufactured or made, but I think they repaired and reboard uh, the rifling on the 16-inch uh, guns. Uh, that was the main function of that particular building. And uh, the school of music was located on the third floor of that building. So in, in the mornings after chow, we would, um, we'd go to that building and walk past all these rows upon rows of 16-inch of barrels and climb a metal ladder up to three floors to what was then the school of music. Um, it was rather small. It wasn't, the school was not as large as it later became, and there were fewer students. Um, but um, our, our schooling there consisted of, of classes and, uh, in musical theory and uh, a little bit of training on the military aspect of, of Navy bands. But mostly, mostly we, we practiced individually, practiced as, as groups. And uh, would, they would uh, send dance bands out from the School of Music to the USOs around Washington and down as far as Baltimore. So uh, it was um, school in the morning with theory and uh, musical training. In the afternoon, it was rehearsals with uh, uh, various bands, like, like a swing band or a concert band. And then in the evening, it would be out playing USO jobs. If we, weren't, if we did not have a, an outside dance to play in the evening, of course, we were free to go about the town. Maybe six months after I got back there, the School of Music started to Enlarge as more and more uh, people were, were recruited uh, as musicians. So the Navy acquired some property in Anacostia, which is just across the river from the Navy Yard, and they built a new uh, facility, School of Music. So the School of Music moved across the river to Anacostia. Our activities in the school were pretty much the same as they had been in the Navy Yard. I spoke with Commander Mark Corbliss. Commanding Officer, Navy School of Music, to learn about training musicians today. Well, I am uh, Commander Mark Corbliss. I am the Commanding Officer of the School of Music. Uh, we train with the Army, but uh, not the same program, but we also train the Marines with us. So we are the Naval School of Music. We train Marines and sailors right now. The Army School of Music uh, trains soldiers in a different cadre at a different uh in a different pace it's zero or 60 miles an hour with the army so um and and they have a, a good number more uh, reserve bands and guard bands so <clears throat> they train them all the same about 10 weeks in their course um the the start of this school it was it was a naval school at first and it was pretty much 
traced back to the early 1900s, and it started in like fits and spurts. They really, they really didn't get to it till about 1935, um, and then they finally had a formal school of music that opened in Washington D.C. and they kind of trained alongside the United States Navy band, uh, and so uh, that kept going with just sailors until 1942, and then they started to um, do it on their own. So how it would work back then is that students would class up and they would form a band, a unit band, and they would uh, train together, you know, and you got to hope they liked each other. They would train together and it, the, the original course was two years and they would train together and they would graduate together and they would go to their ship together. So that's what all the battleships had their own bands. And that's why they were just called unit band this and unit band that. And so that's how it started. And then later, um, we picked up about about a decade after this started in 1942. About 1952, we picked up about 15 Marines. And then we started to negotiate with the Army. And in 1951, Army students started coming to the Naval School of Music, or the Navy School of Music, it was called back then. So it originated as a naval school of music and the navy kind of had hold of it and the army trained with us we were a tri-service school and then about 10 12 years ago the army split off uh we eventually moved down here to little creek in uh <clears throat> and we moved into a building that was built in 1955 so it was uh, less than optimal <laughs> but they stripped it down and it was basically all the barracks rooms were turned into practice rooms uh, we named it after the original commanding officer, um, Commander Captain McDonald, in uh, in 2005, and then we basically renovated it top to bottom in 2014, uh, and it is a much more collegiate atmosphere now. The practice rooms are not made of cinder block; they're soundproofed. You can't hear everybody else practicing down the hall, and they're also climate controlled. And a huge addition that came through was we have an annex now. It's a rehearsal annex because none of our rehearsal spaces were actually proper in their dimensions. The ceilings were very low. It was just none of them were designed for rehearsal. And so with the help of the Army School of Music, which by now, by this point, had been separate, um, they we put together the funding and uh, we built uh, a rehearsal annex. And it is a godsend. It's, it's got two large rehearsal areas for like a wind ensemble and two smaller rehearsal areas that you'd use for brass band or say a rock band. And uh, so we are we are pretty much as you know, our facilities right now are as good as any college facilities out and around the country, you know, especially a, a liberal arts college. It's a large, large space. The Army can train 80 at a time. Uh, some they have a range, maybe 70 to 90 for their cadres. They come four times a year, 10 weeks at a time. And uh, on our side, we go from a low end in the summertime of, say, 40 Marines and sailors to, you know, almost 200. And that is pretty much how we do it. We get them ready for the fleet. That's our job. We get them ready to be a fleet musician, uh, and they need to be ready on day one. And that is our mission, to have them ready on day one, and there are no exceptions to that rule. How long is the course of study? I find it interesting that I think that when we started the school, we modeled it after the Royal Marine Academy. And the Royal Marine Academy pretty much trains the same way. They have students for two years. Um, in this day and age, the Navy would never put up with that because it's just too much money. 
to have a student for two years. So that initial course um, involved advanced course students and basic course students. That means the, that middle management guy, a little higher in rank, would come back to the school and run these bands. And that was a two-year course. Now our basic course is 21 weeks, so a little somewhere over five months, between five and six months. And um, our advanced courses have gotten, it used to be they were a year each, and now we have gotten our unit leader course, which is our mid-level advanced course, down to under seven months, and then, uh, I, excuse me, under eight months. And then our very newest uh, advanced course for our senior enlisted is now 13 weeks, um, because we just asked the question, you know, what do we need our senior enlisted musicians to do? And when we got the answer, this is this is what we came up with: 13 weeks of instruction to make sure they were going to be good senior enlisted leaders. So that's how it goes. The, the basic course is 21 weeks, the uh, unit leader course is about eight months, and the uh, AMC is about 13 weeks. Commander, please tell us about your students. We class up, uh, you know, every month we have a class up, and our program is so small we can literally land people here you know, with boot camp and timing and everything, we get them here right when the class is starting. So nobody waits for a class in the Navy. The Marines are different. They, they come in in kind of droves, you know, they come in in small groups from different parts of the country. But uh, yeah, I was, I generally sit down with all the basic students when they come in and we have a, an in brief and I ask people, um, you know, what they've been doing, what, you know, and on the Marine side, yes, they tend to go much younger. But we have a doctor uh, in this class, and that's not that unusual. He is a doctor. He's a doctor in music, um, and he is a seaman, <laughs> and he's very happy to have a job. And so that is the reality of the situation. And people generally do not get into the Navy, and it's not it's not a requirement at all to have a degree. But most of the people we hire have a degree. And when I say a degree, it's a bachelor's, but more likely it's a master's. We're small, yeah. So it's it's we get to that's it's it's terrible to be as small as we are, but it's kind of great to be as small as we are because we we get the choice to pick the very very best that shows up for an audition, you know. And, and in many cases, that's a guy with a master's in music performance. So the band's quality, the musicians in the bands these days are through the roof. The Marines also, though, uh, the Marines are very, I mean, they're getting to be much more diverse in there. So the Marines used to be kind of like generally your your general broad stroke would be a lot of high school graduates, you know, a lot of young, young people never been even away from home and things like that. But that is not, I think that is not, it's not quite the exception yet, but it is it is about only half the rule. I, I would say that many of the Marines that, that we, you know, we brief are, are either have some college or all college you know, they have at least a bachelor's degree they this is this is a good job you you get to do what you love and you're serving your country and there's nothing there's really nothing bad about it you know it's, it's a great job that's why we retain you know people don't quit we actually now just hire to vacancies it's a very good job People don't get out, you know, unless they retire pretty much or higher tenure. And so we have a, a final manning document, and it has the number of this type of instrument, you know, listed. And when we get low 
before we get you know to a certain not even low we just get below manning and we 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 advertise for an audition and uh we have maybe two spots we hire two people or maybe we don't we don't find them you know but it's a it's a great way to go it's the same as professionals do when they hire for an orchestra we have what's called a cattle call audition you all come to Millington, Tennessee, if you want the job, you get there and you and you try just like everybody else with 30 other people. And so we hire to vacancies, which means we are low on trumpets. We will hire trumpets and then the trumpets will go to the bands that need trumpets. Do students give public performances? Now, performance-wise, we have, over the last four or five years, set up what we call the capstone program. And so we give the band, and especially with a rock band, that we call them PMGs, popular music groups, but with the rock band, we do this. We give them a realistic amount of time to put together a concert. Um, and a concert is pretty much a 40-minute set, right? You would you would go out and uh, say you're at the county fair and you're warming up for Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, and you're going to do this. And, and they absolutely do it all the time. Um, and so we give them four weeks, um, and and they, they have to get a show together. And the show has got to be complete with transitions. All the music has got to be memorized. And uh, you gotta have patter. You gotta have a, you know, you gotta have a, a show that that goes from end to end. And there's gotta be movement, right? You gotta, you gotta make points of interest on the stage. So, the capstone performance is what we would call the real performance in the fleet. And except for the fact that the last year has been a disaster, what we would do, especially with the rock band, is we'd bring in a. <laughs> it really helps to have 18 and 19 year old Marines, uh, because they are all about, you know, enthusiasm. So we'll bring in a whole audience uh, to, uh, to to give the energy back to the rock band, and they will do a performance, and we'll make up a scenario like where where they are, you know, what this is. We're in the Philippines right now. It's a it's a, the International Day of you know Independence for the Philippines, and you know that that's their mission, and they pretend that that's their mission, and they, they do everything they would do in uh, in the fleet. And what's great is when things go wrong. It's it's so great to see things go wrong and to see how they react, uh, how they're going to do it. This mic doesn't work. You hand it off. You know, this is a, a very fleet relevant exercise. So uh, I would say that the students love the rock band as they would. They, they play popular music. It's on the radio. But they also love the brass band. And the brass band has become our workhorse for almost every branch. And that's because... It's not like a New Orleans brass band. It's like a brass band that can play anything that a rock band can play except unplugged. And that is very advantageous when you're tooling around Africa. You know, It, it doesn't need electricity it, and it's very entertaining. And, uh, and you know, you just, if you put, you know, if you have maybe a, a battery, uh, battery run amplifier and a microphone for some vocals, you're done. You're in. You're, you've got a group. They walk in, they start playing, they walk out. It's great. And you don't need a big stage, and you don't need a bunch of bunch of electricity. So, um, those those groups are probably the favorite. But we definitely also emphasize traditional wind ensemble here uh, because they will be playing it when they get in the fleet, and that's the stuff that really stands out as you know knowing your craft. If you're playing these pieces and you're playing them well, then you're going to be fine. Thank you very much for speaking with us today, Commander. And everyone, please join us later this summer for the Showboat Band Part 2. We'll hear more from Commander Corbliss and head to sea with Lloyd Glick and Band Number 35.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm Mary Ames Booker, host and producer of the podcast. Showboat is a series of podcasts about the battleship North Carolina in Wilmington, North Carolina. Visit us online at www.battleshipnc.com. The Showboat welcomes visitors daily. In 2020, the Battleship North Carolina received an NC CARES Humanities Relief Grant from the North Carolina Humanities Council, www.nchumanities.org. Funding for NC CARES has been provided by the National Endowment for the Humanities as part of the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act Economic Stabilization Plan.